Welcome to the Hyper Voice. I am your host, Stephen Morioka, and today I am joined by the marvelous Alex Underhill. Hello there, Stephen. And we have a special guest from overseas, but not so overseas at the moment, Nimiel Katipon. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello, Nimiel. So for some people with who need some background on you, you are from the Philippines, is that correct? Yes, that's right. And currently, Nimiel is over over here in America. On explain to everyone why you're here again. Oh, I'm interning. Yeah, in Illinois. I'm here until December. So yeah, I will get some CDs from here before I go. <laughs> Very cool. So Nimiel's here on an internship um, in the Chicago area, and for. Some more information on him. He actually made it through day one of Worlds this past August in 2016, going 6-0 on day one, and then finished in 35th place on day two of Worlds, going 4-3. and three. So, Nimiel, how was Worlds for you? Oh, hey. Worlds was a ton of fun, but it, it's really tiring at the same time. Because, uh, so, background, like, we, well, two of us went, to to uh, the worlds, but we never we didn't share rooms because um I went with my dad because yeah I went to San Francisco and then I went to Chicago for the internship so yeah my dad like went with me so uh he didn't know I was going to worlds fun fact like I we were supposed to go straight to Chicago but like I said, um, can we go to San Francisco? I'm going to meet up with some people, and then yeah, yeah. I he didn't know that I was going to World, so yeah, I had to take the bus like from like my uncle's house to the World, so like it's an maybe forty minutes of travel time. So that plus like the time difference made it really hard for me to adjust. Like I was really like I was always sleepy at Worlds. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the I think the 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 adrenaline just yeah kept me going, and, the, and then I crashed when I when I got home. <laughs> wow, that's a real interesting story. Uh, that like your world trip was such a complicated adventure, just getting there in general, probably pretty exhausting. Yeah. Um. Uh, fun fact: like we don't have sanctioned events in the Philippines, so I had to get one through like outside the country so i flew to singapore and my parents didn't know why i flew to singapore so i snuck out the country to get points like that's how pathetic my life is <laughs> <laughs> well it's hardcore for pokemon players but what event did you go to play in singapore singapore nationals like so the bar for uh asia pacific is really low so all you had to do was get top 32 in, in Worlds. So, yeah, I got top 32. I didn't even cut Worlds. Uh, I mean, Singapore Nationals. Was that your first uh, major event then? That that was my first like event period, like my first sanctioned event. Okay. Did you make it to any events between uh, Singapore Nationals and Worlds, or was that your only event? No, that was my only event. Worlds my second was my second event. Yeah, so I got pure... Like one hundred percent of my points on Singapore Nationals, and then yeah, I just went to the world. Well, hey, that's very cool. It's very impressive that you made day two of Worlds, you know, on the as your second event, and you know, during your first season too, obviously. Yeah, I played a bit like the GC fifteen, and then yeah, once like I got out of school, I had more time for sixteen. So yeah, that's when I really took it seriously. And yeah, that's when I decided like I should go out with like some people and go out of the country to get some points and actually compete. That is a very neat story. And I know you mentioned earlier how you don't have sanctioned events in the Philippines. We'll get to that very shortly. But first, uh, we just want to quickly talk about a, we had a premier challenge here in the Chicago area, which, um, which is where I first met Nyamiel, so a few days ago. This happened on October 22nd. And why don't, since you two were in the finals, why don't you guys break down, you know, kind of the event in general? And Nyamiel, what was it like coming to your first event here in America, or coming to a premier challenge in America here? 
Yeah, it was really fun actually. So I, the event was around thirty-five minutes away from the from the house that I'm staying in. So I didn't have I didn't know everybody anybody, and I don't want to ask like my uncle to drive me all the way there. So I just took an Uber. Yeah, yeah. So it's my yeah. So I took the Uber to the PC. So I can't find the venue at first. <laughs> I don't think anybody. Like I don't think anybody found the venue like quick because yeah I was really confused. Uh, that was me was, too. Like, oh, you're here. You're not alone. <laughs> you're here. We're like where? Like here? Where? <laughs> yep. I don't. Yeah. Like, well, you're not wrong because it was next to a Walmart and it didn't have a sign of the the venue didn't have a sign for it. You know, a big in big letters or anything. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. happens sometimes with these game stores is they just. I don't know, they just never put up a sign and so you had to like look in the windows to look for like the either the card shop or video game shop, whatever you're playing at. Sometimes it could be a bit inconvenient. Like I didn't even know that if you had game shops like that. Because um so in the Philippines we don't have sanctioned events, but we do have uh like unofficial ones. We pay entrance fees and get some like mini prizes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we do, we don't, yeah, we do, do it just for fun. So, yeah, we, uh, hold it in a mall, like we rent yeah, a space out and then, yeah, that's where we do it. So I didn't know, like, that it was a thing that, uh, there, there's like game stores, like, who, who rent out space for, specifically for video games or card games. Yeah, so, um, I, yeah, the general impression like, of the, uh, premier challenge was everybody was friendly and, yeah, and I guess I was, I was shocked, like, that there were, like, uh, like, elder people playing, I, like, people with, like, actual families. Like, yeah, that was what, uh, stood out to me the most. It's really cool how there's such a wide variety of, uh, people that play VGC and, yeah, uh, like you mentioned, family there. I'm I'm guessing that you might be referring to Stephen and uh, his mom are actually at the premiere challenge with us, uh, and that's one thing that I always look forward to. I had to do a lot of convincing to get Stephen to come out to this premiere challenge. This is but, true, but he did end up coming out, and I think it was worth it in the end for him. Uh, and I always love seeing Stephen's mom, and so does my girlfriend. So, like, that's always totally worth it for us, and. It's just, it, it was a lot of work, though, to convince Steven to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually played your mom first round of Swiss. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, so when I saw the team preview, okay, I'm glad I didn't bring my world's team or like, oh, really? a variant of that. Because I was using Dual Primal. She had Veldon and Perothorn. Like, my team did not like facing that. I guess it's a good thing that you decided to change it up a little bit and uh, move on from the Worlds team, because I know that you've used Double Primal almost exclusively this season, and so yeah, you decided yeah. to shake it up for this Premier Challenge. Yeah, because I heard from Diana that um, like she played four Eveltas in Swiss, so yeah, I, I don't want to <laughs> play against that. <laughs> like I, My team does not do well. So yeah, I, I went with X-Ray. I, I got the placement off of a friend, so... Let's let's back up one step here, and so it makes sense, what you know, why you didn't choose double or dual primals with all the Yveltal, you know, supposedly running around, and I guess we both know because Alex beat both of us on his way to <laughs> winning this one uh, with his uh, Yveltal on his team, but... Oh, he didn't even bring it against me. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it was still on the team, so... Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah, Ivelta was a big part uh, in my matchup versus Steven, but uh, there's no real reason to bring it against Nimiel's team because uh, basically it's just a matchup of who can get up their Xerneas faster and like then just beat the rest of the team because that was... Uh, if you, anybody caught finals, you would see how ridiculous the matchup was but uh, and how it was like very out of control, kind of something that we both realized... Uh, in the finals, but um, we also played each other in Swiss in round three. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see there was an interesting aspect. I guess I can mention. Uh, so uh, during like the week, I was practicing some, and I knew I had played Nimiel while practicing. Yeah. 
Uh, and so uh, in the second game of our set, there came to a play where uh, it was like a, I would say it was a 50-50 kind of play. And um, I made one move while we had practiced against each other online. And then in this game, I switched it up and it's it was a coin flip. It's really impossible to call correctly 100% of the time. But that wasn't what decided basically the Swiss set. And you also revealed that his talent thing didn't have Tailwind, and it had Gravebird, Fair Blitz, Quick Guard, and Forward Stance? Yes, yes, those were the four. I think that was an interesting thing, because uh, at the end of Game 1, you asked me, um, like, why didn't you go for Tailwind there? And I was like, uh, you know, uh, I, I thought I had it without Tailwind, and then I'm just like, no, I don't have, I mean, maybe I do have Tailwind, maybe I don't, uh, don't catch on to me. Yeah, see, Alex is just playing it smart, you know, trying to conserve his information there when he still needs to. You know, this was game one, so you guys still had the rest of the uh, match to finish out. But I remember at the beginning of the premiere, at the beginning of the premiere challenge, I was talking trash to Alex, you know, saying how <laughs> he he convinced me to go, and then he was going to regret it later because I was going to beat him and at some point, and then knock him out of the tournament. And oh then, man, I forgot about this, but yeah. He ended up beating me in uh, semis, so that was kind of funny. Yeah, we did have the Hyper Voice Casters match in top four, which is very fun. Um, Steven was using Wolf's team while I was using a Xerneas Eveltal team, and I think I had the maybe Pokemon advantage. Like, my team seemed to have a positive matchup because Eveltal and Xerneas is kind of hard for uh, Steven to balance all at once, but... Uh, a number of critical hits helped lead me to a victory. Yeah, even even if we ignore all those, it's just it's difficult for me. Just because I'd never played with that team before either. So it's not like I knew what to do against an XY team. Yeah, and my match, my top four match finished early. And all I was thinking while like waiting for the my uh, for my finals match was, oh, go, please let Alex lose. Like, I don't want yeah. to play this game. <laughs> It's because it's basically coin flips at that point. We had mm -hmm. like Smurgle and Talonflame at the same speed, so yeah, it's pretty ugly. Yeah, so in the finals, uh, me and Nimiel played each other, and we uh, both had Scarf Smurgle and Quick Guard Talonflame with max speed, and they were both at the exact same speed stats, like you said. And so uh, you realized this that it was probably your best strategy to do that in the second game of our Swiss, so that's what you ended up doing. And I had to make, like, all these correct calls just to have a chance to win. And so then in the first game of our finals, I tried not to do that lead because, uh, but I did expect it from you. Uh, and I think you did lead that all three games, uh, if I believe I'm correct. Yeah, I think you did. And I thought I had a way to beat it with, like, Smeargle and Xerneas, but it ended up being more favorable for you. And so uh, after that, I kind of, like you know, threw away all skill, and I was just like, alright, like, strategy is out the door now, we're just gonna be leading Smeargle and Talonflame every game, and so I did it in game two, and I won a couple of speed ties, and ended up winning, and then game three, it was more speed ties and coin flip plays, and it was just a mess. Yeah, that's what happens when you play Spark Smeargle, like, it's a bunch of 50-50s. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we both have uh, Quick Guard and Swords Dance, um, because... You know, sometimes when you're using uh, Scarf Smeargle next to Talonflame, your opponent knows not to fall for the quick guard, and so they'll take their sleep turns and you wasted a turn quick guarding, so sometimes you like to get a little more aggressive and use Swords Dance and start boosting up and doing damage, but um, yeah, it can just lead to these coin flip plays that are very dangerous, and it's not a very consistent way to, you know, uh, go about things, but it's kind of nice to have that, like, last out if you have no other way to beat the opponent's team. So it was a it was a fun finals to watch. You know, I stuck around to um, stay there it and watch the finals. Fun for us. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it wasn't that fun playing. You know, with all those coin flip situations. But long story short, that's how the premier challenge ended. Alex ended up winning in three games, and the final result of that is that we did get some points from that, and. I wanted to ask you guys, so the point payout was 2014-10, so that's first, second, top four, respectively. How are you guys feeling so far with the new, you know, championship point payout system? Are you guys feeling good about it? Do you feel slighted? Do you know, do you wish you had more points? Do you like your progression into the 
qual- into qualifying for Worlds? Uh, well, I think it's like good that premier challenges are as low as they are probably because then you know it puts more emphasis on the big events and uh especially like in areas where there aren't as many premier challenges uh they won't be as hurt for not being able to attend those events and also for the people that uh go to these smaller premier challenges and are able to grind up six wins as much or six wins over the course of the season very easily uh they don't have as much of an advantage because of that so you know negating the effects of premier challenges is probably for the best but um you know it, it feels like i had to put like quite a bit of work in uh at least at the chicago pcs uh just to get 20 championship points and so uh like i'll if i do a similar performance at regionals uh i would get and then i get like to the top cut i would get a whole lot more points um but i guess the competition is bound to be stronger there uh but I think overall, yeah, having premier challenges with the payouts that they're at right now is a good thing. Well, I don't know what like how to feel about this because twenty twenty points is not a lot. Like, because <laughs> well, for for you guys, it's like uh like five percent or like how many is that? Like not even like four percent, right? Yeah, I think I think twenty is four percent out of for an in, of an invite five hundred points total. Yeah, because like for me, I only need four hundred points because I'm I'm from Asia Pacific, even though I'm getting the points here. Because there's no, there's no like uh, limit as to where you can get the points. So, uh, like, how many? What's the BFL for PCs? It's a interesting thing this year. Uh, the way that the best finish limit for PCs works because it's two per series essentially. So for the fall series, it is two. But then you can get two more in the spring and then two or two more in the winter and then two more in the spring. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, if I were to go, I've already got two premier challenge results myself. So if I were to get another one that isn't above second place, I would not get championship points. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's scattered all throughout the season, but like the different, like what I, well, I guess like it's for the better because like last season, all I, well, if we had sanctioned events in the Philippines, all I had to do was win six premier challenges and get 20 points from a regional or something, and I'm qualified for Worlds. And in Latin America, you, all, all you need to do is win five PCs and you're qualified for Worlds. Like I know it's 150 for Latin America. So, yeah, it's definitely a good change, but since the bar is higher like i don't know like if attending premier challenges is even worth it if you're not winning if that makes sense right and i see the perspective or i see the angle you're coming from with that is because you know players in north america they have this constant flow of premier challenges that they can attend you know month to month roughly and you're coming from an area or a country that doesn't have any sanctioned events, you know, period. So while it seems like a lot of these points are chump change to us, it is, I think it's very significant for someone like you who's aiming to qualify for Worlds again next year. Yeah. <laughs> so going on with that, how, you know, these points are sig- probably more significant for Nimiel, you know, picking up points while he's here in America before he heads back to a bone dry region or a bone dry country without events, you know, this will be important for him in qualifying for worlds. But in terms of the actual payout of the events, you know, I'm pretty satisfied with it. You know, I didn't put in that much effort in training for the tournament. And, you know, I feel, I feel good about coming out with 10 points, you know, just making it to semifinals. You know, we only had about 20, 25 masters in, that tournament and it feels like the right payout and it being so small and like Alex how you mentioned earlier how it's not necessarily um they're not in- increased they're not very significant in terms of um hindering other players who can't necessarily attend premier challenges like uh other people in the Philippines who don't have sanctioned events or any other region like that and i guess we can Let's shift our focus on our talk away from our points in our local tournament all the way over to across the ocean. And why don't we talk about Asia Pacific a little bit? And Nimiel, 
you know the reach you probably know your region better than we do than we do so why don't you start us off and just tell us what you know about asia pacific where events are held what it's going to look like for you come a few months okay so asia pacific is basically australia philippines singapore malaysia thailand like so all the asian countries minus japan and south korea so um there's not a lot of players in the asian countries so uh, just to give you a perspective there's only 114 masters in singapore nationals and that includes 12 of us who flew all the way to the philippines and like a, a couple of malaysian and uh thailand players who flew out also so maybe it's yeah maybe like half of the players there are from singapore and the rest either flew out or like yeah went to another country to um to compete so there's not a lot of players and you can see that like in worlds like APAC wasn't uh well represented in the top uh in the top uh top cut of day two so um yeah there's not i don't think there's a lot of players or if there are like dgc players they're not going there to compete like not un- unlike in the u.s where where there's 400 players in nationals so yeah it's way bigger in the u.s and in asia pacific do you think it's because of disparity of events and cost could those be issues uh yeah definitely i think it's one of the reason why um well not i i guess the, the general like interest or the support like that you that you guys get here isn't really what like we don't get the same thing in asia pacific we don't have a lot of support so you guys have stipends to, I, I think i heard you guys have stipends to go to nationals like we don't even have that we we just like so like uh, just to give you uh like like a perspective again so the the Entrance fee for Singapore Nationals is ten dollars, and I think you get a DS for winning Nats. Like I think that's it, like and you get trophies, but we don't we don't really get like money, so there's no incentive other than having fun to go there. Like whereas in the US you get money, there's like actual incentive to play it seriously, whereas like in Asia Pacific you just go to have like fun like you just do it for fun so yeah this year at u.s nationals we did have i believe a 20 dollar entry fee and uh but the prizes at the top were a whole lot higher i can't remember exactly how much chase liver got for first but i know it's at least in the thousands um and so that's a lot more than just getting like a nintendo 3ds or something like that so yeah like the with the entry fees and the prize support uh is a whole lot bigger over here just because and it's probably because of uh well um it's probably because the scene is a lot bigger and so uh they can afford to do stuff like that they can expect more people to come out um but if they did you know show a little bit more prize support for the asia pacific uh countries then you know maybe you would see a boom in attendance and who knows with sun and moon we might see a boom in attendance anyway and that might uh spark uh, the pokemon company to you know start sending a bit more support there yeah, and I just looked this up, uh, what you just mentioned. Uh, it was $5,000 for first at, from U.S. Nationals. Oh, wow. And we got the DS. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's quite a few DSs, I think. I believe that's 25, about. Yeah, I think it's a DS or a Wii U. Like, either way, like you probably have that if you're... Yeah. Oh, so yeah. We, we could probably talk all day about prize support and how packs and 3ds's are maybe not the greatest prizes to give to vgc players but yeah <laughs> so nimiel i wanted to ask you about singapore nationals again did were any players from australia there did they fly over too um i know phil did last year but i don't think there were any this year but i know there's like a spanish player i don't know he if he flew out or he was just there like or he was trying to pull out a villa, but I know he didn't cut, so he thought it was probably easy to get points in Singapore. But there, like 
it's actually the the like the level of theirs is actually really good. Like I lost round one and lost the first game of round two. Like that's how. Like I mean, you I could blame it to like bad luck and matches, but like bad matchups. But I think the general level of the players there was higher compared compared to maybe U- U.S. Nationals, like, there's no in-game team in Singapore Nationals, if that means anything. Well, like you mentioned, that a lot of people do travel out to Singapore Nationals. You said, like, you know, maybe 50% of the people there are from Singapore, and then a lot of them are traveling out. So the people that are traveling are most likely taking this thing seriously. And so, yeah, that would definitely increase the strength of the competition. Yeah, So, and I had a really bad um, experience round one. So like I didn't know that. So just uh, again, that this was my first like tournament ever, like, ever. So I went there and oh, like I just assumed that like nobody will cheat, nobody will screen peek. Oh, so that guy was apparently like notorious for screen peeking, and I like the guy like beside him told me after the game like dude like he was screen screen peeking at you the whole time so so i didn't report it so because there's no way to prove it like i'll just focus on like the game and i just warned my friends about him like don't like try i hide your bs from him like yeah and he had a groudon with no red orb so it was a normal groudon so i thought at first it was like it it had no item i I, at first i thought it was scarf like but like he didn't have <laughs> the red orb, yeah. And like round two, I lost to, I lost game one to a guy with a Swirlix and a Regigigas. Like I don't like it's not even the evolved form. Like it's just a normal Swirlix. Oh, like the <laughs> not even I think Slurpuff is what you're meaning. So yeah, Swirlix. like the the pre-evolved of that. Like I. I lost game one to that. Like that's how bad I was. Like, <laughs> that's kind that's of how funny. thrown off I was after. I guess it could hold the uh, a violite and then use its ability. What is it? Sweet veil that prevents. Yeah, sleep. it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't sleep. Like, yeah, it's like the terrain. <laughs> like that's how like, I lost the first three games. Like oh, like I put so much preparation into this, but yeah, I might like even he had having a Veldon versus. Dual primers also help, but I got so thrown off by the Regigigas because it survived like a double edge from Men's and a fire punch from an Adamant Crowder. Oh my gosh! Like, I didn't even know that was possible. Like, what? What? I I can't I can't lose to this. Like not like I can't like drop from the single because it was seven rounds of Swiss. So if I lost game one, uh, if I lost round one, I probably don't have a chance chance of making cut. If I lost round two as well so i knew i had to win to even have a chance of cutting well that's good that even though you lost the first three games of the tournament you were able to turn it around and turn it into a uh top 32 for yourself which is great especially great for your first event because it netted you a worlds of night and you get to you know keep playing uh and uh it's great that you you know were able to you know do decently at your first event so that you know like it builds a little bit of confidence in yourself and uh, keeps your interest in the game because, uh, like, I don't know, some people, you know, if they don't do well at their first tournament, they might be turned off of the game. So it's good to have a good first run. I think, obviously, it worked for your confidence, too, because you got to day two worlds and, you know, 4-3, that's just barely missing cut, too. Yeah, I I lost, like, the last round. So I was 4-2 and then I lost, like, I lost a team preview. Like, I can do anything against this <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I, I just to recap, like, um, so I basically used my ads team because well, it kind of worked, and I just made a few adjustments. Yeah, and I didn't. I stopped playing a few weeks before Worlds, and I, I guess the meta shifted. Like everybody was using Dengar. Like it's good all of a sudden. Yeah, I I should have probably prepared more for that, but. I I just like I just lost interest in the like meta. Like I didn't know it was changing like a few weeks before worlds. 
because it was the same thing like so it's probably going to be the same thing so but yeah it changed yeah that's usually a natural occurrence from every year uh, for that i've seen is there's always this very small but significant meta change right before worlds and it's there's always going to have that kind of impact but i wanted to ask you who did you play in that last round of swiss i tell i played uh till like the german like the runner-up guy from germany not like the one who lost to arash in the finals um, or, i i forgot like was it tobias is that it no no it's still uh, i forgot the last name but yeah i basically lost to a runner-up in the national so and i lost from again i, I think i lost from team Kyubu. he had all the things that i did not like to see like the Gengar trap and the men's like yeah, it's not a it's not a good matchup for me. Well, it's very cool that you made it at least all the way to four and two. You know, forcing that last contention match. Like while you say it might not have been very good in team preview, I'm sure your opponent was equally as nervous. Uh, just being that close to making it into the top cut. Yeah, I heard he went o two and then went five two after. So he won the last five games. So I pulled up two German names from uh, the top cut. And it seems like it's either Matthias Suchodolsky or Till Bomer. Do you remember yeah, which Till, one? Yeah, Till Bomer. Yes. Till Bomer. All right, cool. Uh, oh wait, um, <laughs> I knew. I th- I think I could like uh remember when I lost worlds, like like in because I I was planning to change like one item, I uh, one member, so I had Wimsicott, but I I I was using a dash trick room one, like. It's max HP, max defense. Like it, it didn't do anything for me, other than in round six of Swiss, uh, day one. But yeah, like it's not doing anything for me. So I decided I'm going to change it to the, like max speed life orb one. But like I fell asleep and then like I forgot. Like and when I was in the venue, I remembered. But like, it worked day one. So yeah, I didn't change it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think in hindsight, Life or Whimsy would have been the call with Moonblast, Grassnut, Safeguard, and Encore. Like, no protect. I've been testing that all season, and I think it uh, the Sash one was more consistent, so I went with it. So it looks like the travel finally caught up to you, and I guess uh, falling asleep just before you could change your team ended up affecting uh, your result just a little bit. Yeah, I- well, obviously, like, there's the butterfly effect, but I think uh, the life for one would, would have been the call. Definitely. Yep, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But I guess, uh, speaking of other major tournaments, we know Asia Pacific is going to have an international at some point, somewhere. If you had to guess or pick an area for them to hold it, where would you expect that international to be? Uh, I don't think there's any contention that it's going to be on in Australia just because of how many players there are in Australia. Because in Australia Nationals, I think there were over 260 compared to 114 in multiple Asian countries. So I think it's definitely going to be in Australia. Yeah, and Singapore is really small, so I don't think it's going to be there. I think Australia is a pretty safe pick. And do you think you'll end up traveling out to Australia? Or are you going to have to sneak out there, you know? Or what's the plan? Australia is like really down under. It's <laughs> kind of far. It's an eight. It it's an eight hour flight for me. And US is a thirteen like not like maybe twelve hour flight for me. So it's really far. So I don't know if it's worth going to Australia for that. But because it's almost going to worlds like the price the the ticket for that thing uh, for the the plane ticket is um yeah it's it's close to going to to worlds but again if you don't have <laughs> if you don't have enough points that you can't go to worlds anyway so if yeah if i think i'll have like the if i like the format then i'll probably go and if i don't like if someone finds a re- a really good core like, in the beginning and it's just unbeatable like, then I probably won't <laughs> like, it depends on my interest in the format I guess 
Okay, so it really comes down to how motivated you are to get that world's invite, because I imagine that Asia Pacific Internationals is going to be pretty pivotal for you to, you know, either make or break get that invite, because uh, there just aren't enough American events that I think you'll be attending. So I'm attending Fort Wayne and maybe San Jose, because my, my flight leaves in San Francisco, so I, I think I can delay my flight by a week and go to San Jose, but it depends on if I can get my 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 team in game. Well, yeah, that sounds like sounds like smart planning on your end, you know, before you head back home. And I guess what's most what what's looming for the next format is we're not necessarily going to see the team cores the way they were the way they were defined this season. And by that I mean, you know, a lot of times people describe other players here as, you know, this person is a Groudon Xerneas player, or this is a Rayogre player, or this, this person is dual primals. We're not going to see that type of, um, you know, label on teams anymore. You know, we're going to go back to a more traditional sense of this is a read and react team. So good stuffs you have. This is hardcore trick room. Whereas a lot of, a lot of the teams this year, you know, didn't necessarily have those labels. They were more and, you know, respectfully so, um, labeled by their restricted cores, by those res- two restricteds on their team. And this is also the first time that we don't have Megas like, in three years, so it's de- definitely going to be interesting because most people be- build their teams of the Megas or the restricted, but now, since there are no Megas allowed in the format, it's definitely interesting how people will team build because you, you just, because when I team build, I just, Okay, Mega, Kangaskhan, and then like five more. Like that's how I team build like for fifteen and sixteen. I guess it's just too good like not to use. Like and but this season I like, we we don't know what's going to be good. Yeah, it's gonna be really different for players like you and I who started with Megas and have only really played with Megas, but for players like Steven it might give them a bit more of an advantage because Steven has played in past formats where Megas weren't a thing and so you know, he has an idea of where to start, you know, picking maybe a pair of Pokemon that work together and building around that, or just picking a Pokemon that you think has potential, or maybe you find, like, a core, a defensive core that's going to be pretty tough to get around, and so that's kind of the, what we're going to see. Like he mentioned, you know, some hard Trick Room stuff, or, you know, just picking the six most common Pokemon because, you know, they're just good. Stuff like that. It's going to be totally different from this year, and it's going to be a lot different from past years with the disappearance of megas yeah i don't i don't necessarily think i have an advantage i just it's just something that i've i have experience with you know building teams without having you know a signature pokemon like a mega um to build around so you know it's just something i'm able i'd be able to do and i kind of have have experience with so I guess maybe it is in a, in a way an advantage. It's but... an advantage. <laughs> okay, fine. Experience equals advantage. Come on. Well, it never says much in battle, but I guess in terms of team building, I guess I would I would know how to approach um this kind of this kind of a format where there's no focal point of a team. What's the word I'm looking for? Center point? I don't know, something like that. Whatever. There's no uh there's no big boss to worry about on each team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I guess before we... Uh, Nemiel, do you have any last thoughts on the next format coming up? Before we answer this question? Oh, well... I, I think, yeah, it's going to be like, uh, very different from what we have now. And it, I think, I feel like I have to unlearn like everything I learned like this format. <laughs> If I want to do well in the, in the next format, because like, that, I think this format is very different because it it's setting up your your uh, restricted. Uh, but next format, I don't think there's going to be like there's no since there's no mega and restricted, like there's no like main like mod to protect. Like if that makes sense. So yeah, I I think. So those who excel in this format might might not be good in the next format, and those that uh, 
uh, are bad in the format might be good. So <laughs> I think it's definitely going to be a change because players can't just click Geomancy and Dark Void anymore to win. Like from turn one, <laughs> like like I did, like last PC. So yeah, it's definitely going to uh, be different. You know, unless everyone's going for those EV strats. Oh yes, the new EVZ Protect move. The EV. Yeah, we'll see if that ends up, you know, being a worthwhile strategy or something like that. Because you would be wasting your Z item on a EV, and then you know, EV's probably not going to be doing the offense itself. But, you know, we could talk about Sun and Moon all day long, probably. Uh, I guess we should probably move on to this question here. Yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, phrase it cause, um, so we can answer this. So the question, it comes from a gang of hippies. And this question is about um, how important are perfect IVs for competitive play? And, you know, the situation is, you know, let's say, for example, you don't have enough time to... Let's say you're doing, you're trying to get your last Pokemon on your team in the registration line and there's maybe an hour left to go. Now, and you're starting breeding someone and you can't get the perfect IVs in time. So is it, that's, is it that important for you to have perfect IVs across the board? Do you go for a certain number if you're in that kind of a time crunch? Or do you think just playing the game and not worrying necessarily so much about having perfect IVs and a good EV spread is more important than that. So, how do you guys train your teams in that regard? Oh, I never use uh, non-perfect ones. Yeah. I always use it. Like I never went to an event without like, 31 IVs, except like maybe like the attack ones for special attackers and for trick room ones, because like uh, I mean, there's like certain situations where your mod would have survived if it had perfect IVs or like EVs. So. Because in worlds it came my my spread on bronze like came really clutch. It survived the precipice blade from Groudon and it's uh sassy nature. So like if I didn't have perfect IVs or EVs, it, it would have died. So I would have lost. I would have lost from there. So I think it's it's important, but like it, in like cert, certain situations, but I don't think. Like uh, missing a few IVs will like hurt you in the long run. Like maybe like in the as a whole, maybe you'll drop a game or two, but I think you can still win even if you don't have the complete one, like complete IVs or EVs, unless you have like zero and then the nature is neg like, the opposite of what you need. Yeah, I think yeah, it depends on how much IVs or EVs you're lacking. I think. I would say that, you know, if you, like, we're looking at it in, like, a certain scenario, like, let's say you're preparing for a tournament and you only have so much time, maybe you have, like, three hours or something like that, I would say that, like, those three hours would probably be best spent mostly working on strategy and making sure that you know what you're going to be doing with your team instead of, you know, getting together the perfect Pokemon just because, uh, I would say strategy is just a little bit more important, you know, you're, if you don't know what you're doing with your team, but they're all perfect, uh, stats and stuff like that, uh, it's not going to make as big of a difference. Uh, and also, uh, I actually um, heard this once from someone at a Premier Challenge. I can't remember who, but uh, when you look at like EV spreads and stuff like that, while it's generally nice to have like goals in mind with them, uh, as soon as you take any kind of damage, uh, most of those goals are eradicated unless it's a like one-hit KO kind of goal or something like that to prevent a one-hit KO. So while EVs are definitely important... Uh, you don't need to worry too much about coming up with the perfect EV spread because as soon as you take any sort of damage, uh, the goals of that EV spread kind of change and uh, you're no longer at 100% HP, which is probably what you spent time creating your EV spread for. So I would say strategy is definitely the most important thing. Uh, then EV spread and then IVs, you know, 6th um, gen made it pretty reasonable to get together uh, a good set of IVs, get near perfect. Uh, that's actually what got me into VGC was being able to breed my own perfect team. So I think Generation 6 is pretty generous, and who knows, going forward, it's probably going to be even more generous. You know, especially with the bottle caps, too, coming up. Oh, yeah, bottle caps. We're all super excited for the bottle caps, just hoping that they're not too exclusive. Just got to hope that they're, like, easily obtainable. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think you use those ones for legendaries, because it's 
I think it's still easier to breathe than once you can breathe because you need to get them to a level 100 and then you need to collect all the bo bottle caps. So I think I'll be reserving those for my legendaries. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, probably the wisest thing to do. And, you know, kind of going back to Nimiel's comment on the perfect IV situation, you know, yes, in a perfect world, you're going to want to have perfect IVs, you know, a complete EV spread and, you know, have your strategy all intact. But so this, this, I guess this question is really in the situation where you're in a time crunch for that kind of thing. And what Alex mentioned was really cool how you're right that once you take damage from something, your, the EV spread, whatever goal you had in mind doesn't necessarily, um, play into the picture as much anymore. Um, and all these different games that are happening. So you're right in how, so you have all these great EV spreads and IVs on your team and you put all these Pokemon together. What good is it going to do if you don't know what to do with that team all put together? You need some kind of strategy. Yep. So I would say definitely like if you're, you know, getting into VGC and, you know, looking to like put together a team and start playing, uh, you know, focus mostly on your team, uh, focus mostly what you're going to be doing with that team, uh, and implementing your strategy and winning battles, uh, and if you can't get the perfect EVs or IVs on your Pokemon beforehand, uh, then at least you have the strategy to back you up. And sometimes, you know, those EV spreads and IV spreads don't matter if you just make all the right calls and stuff like that and, you know, play strong. I'll also add in this is that you don't need to have perfect IVs to do well at a tournament or, you know, if you're a good enough player, you're going to get through to where you need to, you'll get to where you need to get to. So... Here is a perfect example is Randy Kwa, a really great Canadian player. During the 2013 season, he was using his team. Uh, I'm pretty sure almost all of them, none of them had perfect IVs on them. They were all, you know, very high, very close to maximum. You know, some of them are going to have 31s in the correct stats where they need them, like speed, something like that. But he won a regional that season. He got top four at nationals that season. And then, um, eight, maybe 18th place at Worlds, I think was the number, something like that. So it that, that right there goes to show you, you don't need to have perfect IVs to have a successful season and go deep in tournaments. You just, like we've been mentioning this past, these past few minutes is have a good team, have a good strategy, know what you're doing. Oh, and did you hear the guy who got in top cut? Top cut worlds was using a like Hardy Groudon or something like a neutral natured one. Uh, I believe I think Sirius Groudon top cut Sirius, worlds. Yeah, Sirius, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sirius Groudon one, yeah. did top cut worlds, I believe. Right, right, and I guess with your point there is he didn't he didn't have the I guess the right nature to be optimizing all his stats on the Groudon, but that's just showing you right there that you don't you don't necessarily need your stats to be per perfect. You want your play to be perfect so that will just about do it for this week's show it was fantastic having Nimiel on our first international guest too really so that was really cool um we're wishing you the best of luck the rest of this season here in america and you know if you head back home we're wishing you the best of luck in the asia pacific circuit hoping you get to travel to some more events out there uh you know Thank you so much for being on, and we hope to see you again at Worlds, because we know you have a lot of potential, Nimiel. And thank you. <laughs> yep, and we'll hope to see you maybe at a couple more events here in America before you do head home. So uh, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, you guys heard uh, Nimiel is likely going to Fort Wayne. So if you get a chance, you know, you have an international player here from the Philippines. Go talk to him. Go say hi. You know, it'd be great to meet someone from a different uh, region, too different continent and i guess with that we're going to head out of here you guys can find us on itunes just search for the hyper voice we will pop up somewhere in there uh add in pokemon if you need to we have our, an email for the show send us your feedback your questions to vgchypervoice at gmail.com and lastly we're going to spit out all our twitter handles um nimiel are you on Twitter, and what is your... Uh, where can people follow you? 
So I'm Lamin VGC on Twitter. So L E I M I N VGC. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. So guys, make sure to give Nimiel a follow. Um, really skilled player, obviously, from this past year's results. Um, we'll see what next year brings us. Alex, we can people can follow you at at Super Morioka. Ooh, or I mean, tricky. I mean, uh, tricky. I mean at uh, Lexicon VGC. Right, right, yeah. Mix them up there. Whoops, See, no, now no one's going to know who's who. <laughs> well, you know, just follow both for the Hyper Voice. You know, if you want all the Hyper Voice info, I don't tweet often. I actually, I don't think I have tweeted really much anything since we've started the Hyper Voice besides, you know, announcing when the episodes are. Uh, so, you know, if you really want just ep- episode updates, that's what you'll get expect to get from me. That's what you get from Alex. Why haven't you tweeted stuff? What's going uh, on? You know, I just, uh, I have other priorities. I play a lot of Rocket League. Rocket League. All right. All right. And so, Steven, where can people follow you? At Super Morioka. So, I guess that will do it. Everyone, I guess we can say goodbye then. All right. See you guys later. Bye. (laughs) Okay, guys. Bye. We'll see you for more Hyper Voice next time.